Hi, everyone. Welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices, plus the knowledge to keep your organization in compliance, HR works. I doubt there's anyone listening who doesn't deal with recruiting and interviewing to some degree. And I'll bet that not a few listeners have made what they thought would be a great hire, only to realize later that the person just didn't fit. To get some tips on how to assess cultural fit, we've asked Tara Kelly to join us. Tara, CEO of customer experience software provider Splice Software, conducts culture interviews with candidates alongside conventional interviews to determine who will mesh with her existing team and who has the necessary soft skills to sell Splice's communication-focused product and brand. Tara, welcome to HR Works. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here today. So, Tara, can we really assess cultural fit uh, in an employment interview? Um, I think the fast answer is no, not in one employment interview. Um, but I think these days the whole relationship process is allowing us multiple interviews with the candidate. So the answer is yes. I think that um, you can get a really strong indicator on cultural fit by having a process of interviews um, through stages. It gives you a lot more opportunity. So um, I understand that you advocate involving many different people from different departments in the interview process. Can you tell us why uh, that's important? Um, yeah, so normally um, you're going to be working probably more with your coworkers than you are your direct boss. And so, um, and even less with the HR department. Um, and so what happens in a lot of organizations is HR owns that you know experience and the manager, the hiring manager does. And, um, and it's easy to fall into that because they have uh, the structure in place to be able to go through that process. But at the end of the day, when that employee is going to become part of your company, they need to succeed not just because they have the skills, but because they have the ability to work with their coworkers in that synergistic way and to work with the customer and to really represent your brand both internally and externally and also with your vendors, right? So um, anybody you hire is going to work with two, if not three, of those parties, right, internally, with coworkers, with vendors, and with customers. And having the right brand experience and the right message is always critical. Um, and so being able to do, you know, a different sort of strategy of hiring practice um, can really be a game changer. All right. Well, I can, I makes, makes sense to me. So when you involve a lot, a lot of different interviewers, do you do it as a group interview or do you assign each interviewer um, a special topic, or how do you handle it? Yeah, so logistics count, right? So it all sounds good until you realize, oh, well, great, we're hiring you know, this new position, and they work with 32 different roles in our company, and 12 most of the time, and this poor doc is going to now do 12 interviews, right? this poor candidate, and that's ridiculous. And so there's this logistics thing that kicks in, and you, and you have to sort of actually look at it on paper and say, is this fair? Does this make sense? Is, is this actually culturally right as far as respecting a candidate? Um, and so what we've found over time is a really good blend is to do it in groups. We typically will have two culture fit, if not three groups. 
And we often, we have offices in multiple locations, and I know a lot of people do. Um, we'll do a WebEx one as well. So there'll be a group that is um, primarily all online. They're all doing, you know, face, video, camera interaction. Um, and when you break into those groups, it's really important to try to know who is looking for what. Um, so yeah, maybe you're an amazing synergistic high-performing team, but it doesn't mean that you guys can read each other's minds. You don't want to go in that room and everybody's kind of circling some of the same issues. You forget some of the key culture fits you're looking for. Um, so I'll give you an example. We have Love to Learn um, as one of ours. Um, another one is company success. Um, and of course, um, putting the customer first. And so we would make sure um, on the Love to Learn one that somebody has kind of picked that. And so we have a sheet that circulates online in advance and everybody says, of our five cultures, we're going to, or values within our culture, I'm going to be looking for these things. And we make sure that every single value has been addressed multiple times, um, but not one you know, 12 times and, and another one not at all. And then you want to build it into a natural dialogue because the more you can put the person at ease and the more you can be a peer in that experience, the better you're going to get. There's a lot of people that are really good at interviews. Like they kill interviews, but that doesn't mean that's necessarily what it's going to be like when they're not on the stage and being asked to perform because we perform differently in our functions. Equally, there's a lot of people that are terrible at interviews that actually have some of those great assets that make beautiful, uh, long-lasting, high-performing team members. So then um, that leads me to wonder about reference checks, then. Are they part of your assessment of cultural fit? Yeah, reference checks are a really <laughs> loaded question. Of course they are. Um, the skill of the person calling in on reference checks has now has to come to this higher level. Most organizations are very, very cautious um, that they never were to share any negative things about an individual, right? There's a lot of protection out there for the individual, and, and perhaps rightly so. Um, so reference checks should not be abandoned just because you can't get people to lay down and just dump, you know, what's the really thought. Um, normally it's handled by HR because this is an area that can get into lawsuits very quickly if somebody says the wrong thing. So it's often difficult to talk directly to the person who worked with them the most. Um, and when they do, they can be guarded uh, because they're not sure what they're allowed to say. And so what I have found and what our team has found um, and, and our HR group works really well is you can use some of the words. You could have asked the candidate, you know, how would your coworker describe you in three words? How would your boss describe you in three words? And then when you're doing the reference check, if you want to get a good sense of how well does the person um, accurately see themselves and how others see them, you might ask them, what are the three words you might use? Um, what comes to mind? And um, it really lets you know a lot about the dynamic that individual had in their workplace. Um, and you might, can also ask things that are safe, like what might they've been the most proud of. Um, there'll be lots of, um, you know, depending on the role, sometimes the candidate's giving you some very specific achievements, um, and that's becoming popular um, in resume styles. And often the employer that is still there that you're doing the reference with doesn't want to speak about specific goals that are internal to the organization. And so in those cases, you're not going to be able to sort of fact check it. You get people that say, you know, I grew sales by 27% or I, you know, went to 
seven million dollars, or I was eighty percent over quota, or, or I did quota seven years in a row, or whatever these things might be. And you're not going to get to fact check these typically with their bosses. It is not going to happen. Um, but when you get into those moments where you're most proud, and you get into some of the uh, more anecdotal experiences, that's where you really open up the language. Okay, so I. Um I heard you say that HR usually does the reference check, but I believe you've also recommended that the hiring manager has to be part of that. Is that important, do you think? I strong, yeah, I strongly recommend it to the hiring manager. I think that it's critical. I think you still see, we run into it, um, where HR typically would do the reference check, and I think the more you can have it be the hiring manager, just with a little bit of training and support from HR, the better off you're going to be. So you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, when I reference that, I just know a lot of organizations still have that job function in HR, and I would encourage HR to maybe create a little package, a little bit of you know document of here's how you can do this, safe questions, not safe, and get that done by the hiring manager because they really understand um, what that job feels like better than anybody. Sure. So um, once you get this going, what can you do to maintain the quality of the process and allow it to grow and change as the company does? Great. That's a really, really important question. I think lots of times we work really hard to get something right, and then we sort of let it, you know, slowly know, decay, um, and then we revamp it again. But one of the things that I think is important to build is that closed-loop process, sort of like you would with an external NPS. Um, you're, you're almost doing that with your staff is, do we think this fit was right, um, and do we think we were efficient in the use of their time and ours, right? Um, what really led to the better questions? And so just a really quick debrief, and a lot of, a lot of our process is actually done independently when all the different other employees have time um, in documents online, you just quickly write into your notes, um, and then reviewed by HR. One of the things that we um, change to the metric at our company is we continue to perform culture fit evaluation in a metric way for the first 30 days of employment. And um, it's actually a really great process because that's that first 30 days where both parties are still assessing fit. And rather than put so much weight on whether or not people will independently come forward to the hiring manager or HR with feedback. Um, they actually are, are tasked, certain people are tasked with reporting on the level of culture fit over a 30-day period. And at that point, you kind of get away from that game phase. And that's um, a really great tool that allows us to see after we've invested, you know, you're past that three-month period, that probation period, whatever it is for an organization, we are incredibly dedicated. We have a KPI that you know we keep staff for at least five years after that point if we felt like we've really got that right candidate. Um, and if we don't, we want to set them free as fast as possible so they find their right fit, right? And those, those things are important. Now, that's something, that additional 30-day culture fit is something that we would never have come up with if we didn't have that sort of closed-loop cycle with our team. Um, so I think you really want to be monitoring what's working um, and make sure what you're measuring um, are really leading indicators, not just sort of summarizing the facts. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I like that idea. Do you, does it start with great people and then you get a great culture, or do you establish a great culture and then it automatically attracts the right people? This is a very loaded question, and uh, I, I do think that 
I do think the culture does come first. It's not because, you know, I'm an egomaniac founder, um, <laughs> which I got checked myself multiple times. Um, but I think it has to be present. And I think at the beginning, whoever is number one and two in starting this little seed, they have a culture themselves as to who they are, and that will um, grow throughout the company. And to your earlier point, you know, things evolve, and, and, and that's, that's okay. People leave their mark, and, and, and if you pick the right people, you become better together. And energy isn't just a buzzword. It's something that means something. Um, but I strongly believe you have to say with vision, this is who we are. This is how we're going to serve the customer, and this is what we stand for. This is the hill we'll die on. This is in our DNA. And you define that that being of your company um, as if it has that pulse and that heartbeat, and then you look for like-minded people. Um, you could get an interesting culture by having no clue of where you are going. But I, I love uh, a saying that they use um, in, in, uh, in Mexico, and that's if, um, if you're not sure where you're going, you can take any bus. Um, so I guess, you know, you ask yourself that in your company, um, and, and is that, is that, is that the truth? And and I think for most, you know, founders, board members, organizations, that's not the truth. Um, and there is an idea of who you want to be and what that identity is. And you want people that are similar, um, to self-identify with what you stand for because you're getting such a deeper level commitment and culture just starts to fit naturally the more you display it, the more they can see it, and you will genuinely attract your more likely candidate. Okay. So um, it seems to me we have some special situations that make it hard to keep the culture authentic. Like, for instance, if you have startups or you're opening a new location or people are changing teams, how do you, how do you keep the culture going as you grow and change? I think you continue to um, you continue to create visibility around what matters. You can't assume because it's been well socialized and communicated in one office um, that everything that you do on a daily basis is just going to pop up in the new DNA. And so I think um, one of the things that we've found is by transplanting people that are extremely strong in culture to the new location helps dramatically um, because newer employees you don't necessarily know the depth on that on on the strength of that culture um, their ability to champion it they've got a lot going on that when they're new in a company as far as getting their skill sets down there's a lot happening in the moment and when you have a good culture fit they're still going to um, naturally respond in a way that aligns to their values but when you can transplant somebody sort of you know from the mothership when you're colonizing I think that you get a lot more success um, that doesn't always work and when it doesn't then I think what you do is you transplant them back to the home ship every now and then and really remind them what it feels like to live and breathe the DNA of your culture um, and and so I think when Whenever possible, um, you physically travel and you put people physically in those locations. And when you have constraints that don't allow that or that, that you need to continue past that, I think you just work on making the world small. And things like internal chat tools, um, better, better video conferencing, you, you make sure that your world is small and that your offices are close and that you feel there's a real relationship that maintains and all of that flow will naturally happen. And God bless technology. It's really allowed us to do that a lot easier um, than we used to, right? So um, it, it is getting easier and easier to create 
um, you know, virtual relationships almost that um, that aren't really, you know, they're not just virtual, they're, they're real. God bless technology. So um, you've talked exactly. about... <laughs> You've talked about the marriage of culture and motivation. Can you explain a little bit about that? Absolutely. So um, I really think that um, when we look at culture, you get these people that have these strong values um, that align. The ability to move forward and get excited about getting something done is, is where the energy is able to go. And so when you're culturally not fitting, there's all of this natural friction that sucks out the energy. So everybody wakes up with a certain amount of fuel in their tank. And one of two things happen. You either run into all of these friction points that are draining your tank, or you run into all of these moments that are refilling your tank. And when you have a culture that pulses well together, you're actually charging as you go. And it's a really, really awesome concept. And then you take that, that, that fuel in your tank, and that's the motivation to get that job done. And I think that companies that are culturally aligned and have that strong fit have a deep-rooted motivation and such focus that the, the results by far outweigh those that are hitting those friction points and draining the tank early. And I think that that is ultimately why people say, you know, culture eats strategy, right, for breakfast or all these fun things. Um, because you can have all the strategy you want, you can have all the plans that you want, and you can have the smartest people on the planet, but if you don't have the culture to pace as a team and you don't value each other in a, a genuine way, you are going to drain the tank of those people and they will never perform at their best. They just can't. Well, I know uh, I've had my tank drained <laughs> occasionally. So um, to be more specific Hopefully not on this, this call. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but be... I do. I think you're right. We have work experiences. Is that what you're referring to? A work experience where you're like, God, that I shouldn't be that exhausted. Yes, but certainly not at my current employer. Um, so, right. to make this a little more specific, um, I understand that you have five must ingredients for success. So, I think we'd like to hear what those are. Absolutely. I think the five must that you have to have the ingredients that have to be there for success is culture. It has to be culture first. Um, like I just sort of was, was walking through, culture genuinely just fills the tank that becomes the motivation. So now you've got these people that are culturally aligned, that have great synergy, that are motivated, their tanks are full. If you don't have clarity, uh, you're, it's, that, it's that same thing. Everybody's running to the wrong bus, going to a different place. It, it just won't work. Right, so clarity of the goal, clarity of the vision, clarity of the mission, um, and and then comes alignment. Now, a lot of people would argue and say, wait a minute, Tara, you're crazy. If you have clarity, of course you have alignment. And I'm going to say no, that, that's, not, that's not a fair assumption. Just because you're clear on where I want to go doesn't mean you believe that's the right way to get there. So even if we agree on where we're going, there's still choices of how we get there. And alignment is when you been able to articulate the value proposition of how you're going to move from A to B and why that's believed to be the most efficient, why that has the greatest results. And so aligning your team is often about the execution and the how, right? Clarity is about really socializing that goal and, and then, you know, obviously having the tank full enough and nothing starts without culture. And so if you get all of those issues right and you have the culture, you have the motivation, you have the clarity, you're aligned. The next and final step that sometimes 
you see people scared to really, really make transparent is measurement. Measure what matters. We've all heard that. I know we've all heard that. But when you measure it, you help everybody realign, refocus, create the clarity so that you're really hitting those targets. Um, and you also create great opportunities to celebrate. And I think that when you want to bring a team together and be true to your culture, celebrating your wins has to be part of it. And being truthful to your failures has to be part of it because it makes you stronger. Um, a really good friend of mine um, tells this story, and, and he's, a, he's a great author as well, Jack Daly, and he says uh, that, have you ever gone, like, imagine we're at the Olympics. Yeah, okay, we're at the Olympics. And we're all sitting in a stadium together, and we're going to run this race, and it's going to be great. And we have this goal to go as fast as, you know, man's ever gone. And we're watching, and they're running. It's an hour later, and they're running. And it's six weeks later, and they're running. <laughs> Nobody wants to have a race that doesn't end. <laughs> and yet sometimes we have goals in our company like a year or you don't even know when the goal ends, right? So the more you can break it up to very exciting moments and create these short sprints or quarterly goals and then measure them and then evaluate and then either celebrate or adjust a lot or celebrate and adjust, right? You really are able to create that whole loop. Of, of really recognizing and appreciating your culture and being authentic to who you are in that moment and seeing it as a moment. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the five ingredients of success. And if you bring them into your organization, you are guaranteed to see a genuine lift in, in both, you know, bottom line and top line um, because a lot of this is the stuff that shows up at the bottom line when you really drive alignment. It's those differences in the margin when you've got really good clarity of culture, motivation, clarity, alignment, and then measure it, measure it, measure it. Wow, that's, uh, those are great. Great advice for anybody listening. Um, any any final tips before we wrap this up, Tara? Have fun. You know what? Life is fast, <laughs> and people love to have fun. So I think never, uh, you know, always give fun a chance in your culture because it can be a really great thing, and um, it's going to really help you help you you know continue to feel that tank. So um, you know, get started on the process. And if you haven't taken a good look at your culture recently and what you define as your values, um, now is the perfect time. Tara, thanks so much for joining us today and providing these very helpful tips. Excellent. Well, it was my pleasure, and thank you so much. And uh, look forward to talking again and catching some of your other podcasts. Lots of great stuff on this channel for sure. Thank you. Listeners, please let me know what HR Works should cover next. sbruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works. The opinions expressed on HR Works do not represent legal or any other type of professional advice and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice from a qualified attorney licensed in your state.